0: our scripture is in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. I'd like to share that with you this morning prior to our sermon time. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, grow into your room Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's be in prayer for our pastor and for the rest of our service this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to read these words from your scriptures, and we just take them to heart and pray that they will um, just kind of reside there, and we can we can just think on them and deliberate on them for a long time. We just ask to soak those in, as well as the words from the message from Pastor Keith this morning. We know that you've given him a great message to share with us this morning, and we just thank you for that, and pray for his boldness of spirit and all of the things that he has to share with us in his message this morning. We thank you for that, and do all of this in the name of your Son Jesus. Amen.
1: Good morning. We are so glad uh, that you're here in worship with us this morning. And if you're a visitor, come to celebrate one of these uh, confirmation students. uh, We doubly welcome you. Um, So happy to have you in, in worship this morning. This morning is Confirmation Sunday. So I want to tell you a little bit about confirmation in our local church. Confirmation has a couple of components. The biggest one is this process. And as you see, uh, two small groups of students in front of you. That's kind of the heart of the process. These small groups all year have been led by fantastic leaders. This group by uh, Teresa Morgan and Andrew Hap, and this group by Terry and Kurt Musser. And they have, uh, throughout the year, studied the Bible, gone on field trips, Learned about baptism, learned about communion. They probably even can tell you the difference between transubstantiation and consubstantiation. They've learned about various things and, and the second coming of Christ, and they've made, become a group in prayer together. And our leaders have done a fantastic job of leading them. And I just want to take a minute. Would you give them a hand right now, these four? Stand up, stand up. Come on, come on, these four stand up, stand up. They did fantastic. Thank you. They, they were fantastic because, you know, they're dealing with some of the 8th graders, and sometimes 945 Sunday morning is not their favorite times. But for the last 13 months, they've been leading this group. A second big piece of our confirmation is the meetings with the pastor. Uh, these groups meet about every fourth Wednesday afternoon with me, and I'm going to tell you about one of the experiences we had later in this talk, but, but we meet every, every Wednesday afternoon for, for some more in-depth and some more kinetic stuff as far as growing our faith. And throughout the process, there's, there's been all these special activities. They stayed overnight in the church one night, and it still stood. It was great. Uh, They've done a lot of various uh, things. We, we bless these kids, but we let them go and had them come and pray at the prayer vigil. We had them come for the Advent Choir Day, and then we really wanted to triple bless them, and we brought them all to Charge Conference. Do you remember that? The adults are saying, really? Don't you love the kids? But we, we, we do, and, and we've encouraged them to do community service services by helping their neighbors, by participating with Fly, by... Um, doing all kinds of things for their schools, their church, the Salvation Army, and many others. And and that's been the process. And that brings us to the moment. Because the moment of confirmation is today. And I want to tell those of you that are sitting here in the front row, today, you're going to come and kneel here. And when you kneel here, you're going to be surrounded by your group leaders, your pastors. Your parents will come up behind you. But you are going to kneel down. You'll be the only one kneeling down. And when you kneel down, you are in, admonished and encouraged to make a declaration of faith. That's what confirmation is. is about confirming your commitment to Jesus Christ. You, you will kneel down and make a declaration of faith. We will lay hands on you. And we will pray for you, for your anointing, and for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because it says in the Scriptures... To be born in Christ, you need to be born of water. That's baptism. Some of you are getting baptized today. And the Spirit. And we're going to pray that through those words that we've, we've practiced. Now, understand this. I want to be absolutely clear with you, uh, 10 here, 11, here at this particular service. Our prayers, when you're kneeling down here, are not congratulations to you. They're not congratulating you for some great thing that you've done. The congratulations with the donuts already you had downstairs, right? The congratulations might be in, in some of these things that we give you, these wonderful cross and flame symbols made by, by, by Jim Kloss and the Bibles or, or your certificates. Your, 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 your celebration, your congratulations probably going to be with a family meal or something like that. You may even get a gift card or two today. Those are your congratulations. But this is not your congratulations. That's not what we're doing here in worship. Our prayers, and even as we clap for you, even as we applaud you at the end of the service because you've come to the end of confirmation uh, process, are not congratulating you on a job well done. They're a welcome. They're saying, welcome aboard. We're glad that you've come to join us. We're glad that you've come to a point where you can start with us, where you can start your adult discipleship alongside us. Our prayers and our applause are an expression of our thankfulness for what God has done for you in the first 14 or 15 years of your life. We're so grateful to God for that, that we will pray, we will cheer. And our prayers and even our applause are not a congratulations. They're filled with hope that your commitment to God and your faith in God will continue to grow day by day as you walk alongside us. Because here's the deal, guys. There is among the world today this thing in the church, this confirmation and graduation tension. There's this confirmation, graduation tension. I want you to look at this slide. I put put a slide together, or, or some guys put a slide together for me called the 1331 problem. That's a problem. It's not a math problem. I couldn't solve the equation. I don't know what the fraction is, Brady. I really don't. That's not my skill. I know you'd get it, Jill, and I know Noah would get it. Some of you guys are really good at math. But here's what that equation means, is confirmation is not graduation, because so many people in our world today get confirmed, and then if you talk to them 28 years later when they're 31, they got the same faith they had when they were 13. That's why we're not applauding what you did as a great congratulations, we're applauding you and praying for you in what you're starting. See, confirmation for some families is seen as a graduation from all things Christian. You made it. You're done. Congratulations. You don't have to do anything else more in your life. But that's not what we're here for. That's not what Pastor Keith and I do. That's not what Vicky prays for every day. The reality is, and what changes today, and which is why we don't want you to live into the 1331 equation. I don't want you to have the same faith when you're 31 that you have when you're 13 you should naturally grow you should be striving all the time but the reality is at confirmation the path changes the path changes i know you still can't drive most of you some of you know how to drive but you can't drive on your own yet the path changes a little bit and this is how if so far your confirmation path has been structured by us by your parents By our confirmation teacher, by your pastors. We've told you when to come. We've told you what to do. We've encouraged you to learn certain things. But now that path completely and entirely changes. It changes from one that we are encouraging you along and pushing you on to one that we say, come walk beside us, or come pursue another path. Pursue your own questions. Because our learning and our growth is always at the end of our questions, not necessarily at the beginning of my or Pastor Keith teaching. Challenge yourself to grow in God at an even faster pace than you grow in learning algebra or grow in learning a foreign language or learning how to play your instrument or make a jump shot or throw a slider. Challenge yourself to grow even faster in this part of your life than you do in those parts of your life. Because now your faith walk is yours, alone and entirely. Your faith walk is entirely yours. If you're going to become a bigger, richer, fuller Christian, it's on you now. Your faith walk is yours, and I admonish you in the name of Jesus Christ, don't stop walking. Don't stop walking here. Don't stop walking here because grandma gave you a gift card and patted you on the head because you did your lines so well, and you did, by the way, although Devin, first time anybody tried to set the church on fire on purpose. Well done. The reason I tell you not to stop is this. You see, these people up here and all the people behind you here, we want to spend forever with you. We want and absolutely desire to spend a forever with you because we love you. So don't stop walking in Jesus. Now Pastor Keith and I are going to offer to the congregation, which you're much a part of, as a member in just a few moments, a series of teachings about what a Christian, what what a member of Jesus Christ should offer. And for your confirmation service, we're going to work together on this sermon called, A Christian Offers Their Prayers. A Christian offers their prayers. Now throughout scripture, it shows us the importance of prayer. Prayer is emphasized. In Ephesians 6, it says, pray at all times, all the time. Pray at all times. In Colossians 4, it says, devote yourself continually to prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, pray continually. That means never stopping. Jesus, who you've learned a lot about this year, some of you have been to camp, some of you have been to church school all your life, some of you have been to confirmation this whole year, you've all been involved in this. You learned a lot about Jesus' life. And in Jesus' life, we see the importance of prayer. His life was a model of prayer. He showed us the importance of of praying in his life. And in Matthew 6, that we just read a minute ago, that Vicky read a minute ago. He says to his disciples, pray like this. And he teaches them the formula that we know the Lord prayer. Now they saw the way Jesus prayed. They watched him every single day. They saw that he would walk away from him and get deep into prayer. They, they, they watched how he would be with them and be deep in prayer. He watched that he'd, they'd be in public atmospheres and be deep in prayer. And they also saw this, you guys, that he prayed very differently from the way prayer was done in the world in which they'd grown up. grown up, And Pastor Keith is going to come forward and tell you right now a little bit about this. Keith?
2: You see, one of the things that Jesus did when He prayed, you guys, was He changed the way people thought about prayer. He changed the paradigm in which the Jews were to pray. See, for, for the Jews, prayer... And it was a highly ritualized, programmed experience. There was a lot of pomp and circumstance. And prayers were programmed by others, and, and they were very nationalistic in their nature. I mean, what I mean by that is, they, you didn't, you, if you were a Jew, you didn't pray for yourself. You prayed for your nation. You prayed that God would deliver the nation, but you didn't pray as an individual person approaching their God. You participated in the prayers of Of your people. And the prayers were recited and pre written and pre planned. And Jesus basically came along and he dismantled this paradigm in three ways. The first way that he dismantled the paradigm was by showing the Jews and all of us really that we are to address God as a personal father. Now, you and I have grown up in this. You guys learned this in confirmation. I mean, it's part of our paradigm. So some of the novelty of this is lost on us because. We've grown up in it, but to the Jews, this was a a, a truly different experience. And Jesus knew that the Jews had understood God to be their creator and their overseer and their provider. But they certainly dared not approach God in too personal terms. You weren't taught to think of God that way. God was the God of the Jews, and if you were a Jew, then you were a part of that. But it wasn't until Jesus came that people spoke of God the way he did that people could relate to God in a more personal way. And what could be more personal than to view God as a loving Father? Fatherhood then becomes the lens by which we are to view our relationship with God. So if that's the case, and I want you to think about your prayers, confirmation students and the rest of us, if that's the way that we view our prayers, then here's something that we understand about God, that He knows, according to Jesus what we need even before we ask. And I think we can understand that, right? We can recognize the fact that God is all-knowing and that God doesn't lack any information and that we don't need to explain to God. I always crack up when I'm in groups of people praying and they, it seems to me like they're trying to report to God what happened. Oh, God, we're praying for Joe. Last week at 7.30 he fell and had an accident. He was wearing a blue shirt. And, uh, Lord, he hurt his right ankle. And we just ask, Lord, that, you you know, God doesn't need us to give him information, right? He knows all the information. He knows what you're looking for. So why do we pray then? See, what's more interesting to me is the fact that as a loving father, and I'm sure your fathers and mothers have told you the same thing, God knows even better than we what we need in the first place. See, sometimes you think you need certain things, and you approach your parents with them and say, this is what I need, but they know full well that what you need is not what you think you need. That's how it is with God. He knows what we need even more than we know what we need. Some might say, well then what's the point of even praying? Why should we do that? Why does Jesus tell us to keep praying? Why should we ask? Because to ask is a reminder that our needs are met by God. To ask God is a reminder that we depend on God for the things that we need. To Ask God, to come before God in prayer is to take a posture of humility, is to take a a posture of worship and to acknowledge before God and before ourselves and before others even that our needs are not met by our ability to be smart, good-looking, or talented. They're met by our loving Father. So that's where we go when we have needs. It demonstrates our personal reliance. And that was something Jesus wanted the Jews to understand, that when you pray to God, you need to demonstrate personally that you rely on God. Not just nationally, nationally, but personally. The second thing that Jesus did to dismantle this paradigm is that Jesus wanted the Jews to understand and wants all of us to understand that our prayers are to come from the heart. That's why he talked about babbling on like the pagans do. Jesus is not impressed by our many words or our ability to be disciplined learners of ritualized prayer and many of you learned all these prayers and and that's certainly great but there's more to the story god doesn't need all of that he doesn't need your ability to memorize he needs your ability to express your love to him and your need from your heart if you want to see what i'm talking about fellas when you get a girlfriend okay when she has a special birthday or whatever this or that Just go find a nice card with a nice pre-printed message in it and give it to her. See what happens. Some of the the women are laughing because you're like, that's what my husband does, right? (laughs) You see, here's the deal. You Get ready to be in trouble because what your significant other wants is not the words of some other person printed in a card, probably a girl wrote that, right? Because no guy would come up with that stuff. That's not what they want. She wants you to write your own little message in there. Use little pet names and write little things and draw little hearts and stuff like that, right? See, but you might be thinking, but, but, I don't know what to say. You know, and, and and the pre-printed message is so good and it's so thought out, you know, but here's the deal. You might not be able to come up with anything better than that pre-printed message, but it's what comes from your heart is what she wants. Not what somebody else wrote in an office. See, the words aren't important. It's the expression of personal love that makes it meaningful, and that's what prayer is about, according to Jesus. See, I, I hate it, and I know some of you kids are, are in this place where you say, "Oh, I hate praying." If you were asked to come up here and pray right now, some of you would just freak out, right? Because, like, I stink at praying. And what you mean by that is you mean that you don't have the ability to craft like this well-flowing, free-flowing, religious-sounding, you know, beautifully delivered prayer. So you think that you stink because you can't impress other Christians with your prayers. You see, the truth is, you want to know who the people are that stink at praying? They're the people who week after week, day after day, rely on the pre-printed words of somebody else, even Jesus. To give their words across that Lord's Prayer that we read this morning, if that doesn't come from your heart, if that's not something that you feel personally, then it's no of more it's of no more use to God than a pre-printed message on the inside of a Hallmark card. It doesn't matter what the words say. There are no magic words when it comes to prayer. There's only a posture of worship. There's only the expression of love from your heart. That's why I get frustrated with Christianity sometimes in America, is because I feel like we are so, we just want to do the, the things the quick, cheap, and easy way, even with prayer. So we become attached to these like prayer fads that come out every few years in the Christian church where some guy or whoever will discover some obscure passage in the Old Testament. I remember a few years ago, it was like the Jabez prayer, right? And some guy found this prayer where where this guy Jabez was wanting to grow more crops and he said, Lord, increase my territory. And now someone grabbed that and marketed it and put it out in a book and told Christians, if you pray this prayer specifically this way, God will double your business. He will bring success to your family And, and books were written and conferences were held. And, and videos were made, and the next thing you knew, you walked into the Christian bookstore and people were obsessed with it, and I saw like the J-Bez prayer for teenagers, the J-Bez prayer for freshman volleyball players, the J-Bez prayer for hamsters, the j Bear's prayer for whatever you want, because we want to just find the little formula and just tack that on and say, God, yeah, me too on that one. We don't want to think of it for ourselves. Don't let that become your prayer life, you guys. You're done with the whole structured learning of the faith thing in this way, but don't ever believe for one second that your prayer has to be confined to the things that you learned when you were in confirmation. The point of prayer is not about what words you use. You cannot impress God with words. You can only impress God with faith. And the third thing that Jesus did to break this paradigm that the jews were stuck in was he invited them to pray in secret now that seems strange to us right pray in secret what's that all about you see the jews needed to be challenged to pray in secret because up to that point their prayer had been about being part of a large community and not about who they were with god on a personal level much the same way as a confirmation class you have been part of a group You've been part of a, of a community, and that's a great thing, and we rejoice in that, and we celebrate that. And as Mike has said, you're entering now into a greater community, not as, as a student, but as a co-learner and a co-leader, a co-participant. And we as a church pray together, of course, but make no mistake, your confirmation means nothing if you have no personal relationship with Jesus. So let your prayer life be a personal one too. You see, the point of prayer is not to impress others or even to impress God with how good you are at it. The point of prayer is something much simpler than that, but also something so much more meaningful as well. And that
1: leads us to a really audacious claim. I told you last week I was going to make this huge claim about prayer. And it starts with this. See, Christians are told to pray because prayers work. Christians are told to offer their prayers because prayer works. You know, a few years ago, guys, I had this forest green shirt. You know, I mean, it's hard to believe that I might have a, anything other but the white shirt. I had a, this forest green shirt, and I'm telling you, Jacob, I look good in it. You know, I really did. I, I'm t- I, I did, Hunter. I looked good. One day, you know, I'm sipping my coffee, and I'd had a, a coffee lid malfunction, and I poured a little brown coffee right here, right here. And I went home, and I says. Sadly, that's terrible, because I want that stain out of there. This is my favorite shirt, and I look good in it. I did. You guys are having such a hard time believing this. It's really hurting my feelings. <laughs> Melanie, I looked good in it. But anyway, so I went home, and I, I got to myself, and, and, and Teresa was at work, and I thought, I've got to get this stain out of the, this shirt. And so I said, how do you do that? And there's this product up above our wash machine, and it says, it says this, 100% effective in removing stains. I said, that's awesome. So I put it on there. I jammed a bunch of it on there. I rubbed it in. I read the instructions. I had to put the bottle on the floor because I didn't have my glasses. But I read the instructions, and I rubbed it in there, and I put it in the washing machine. And I came back the next day thinking, this is going to be awesome. I can get my green shirt back out. I can wear it again. And I took it out of there. And guess what? That product told the truth. It had taken the stain out. But it had also taken the color out in this big shy part of my shirt. And it had put that color on a pair of my pants. So it was effective to a point, but not, not 100% effective. I bought when I was about you know, one of you guys' age. I, my, one of my first cars was an Opel GT, a little sports car. And I was over by Washington High School, and this guy sold, sold it to me. He says, you know, the beauty of this car is it starts every time. Guess what? In the middle of the winter, it never started once. It never started. See, it wasn't effective 100% of the time. It wasn't effective very often. Few things, if any in the world, few things. Work 100% of the time. But here's the claim I want to make to you, and it's audacious. That means it's huge. Prayer works 100% of the time. Prayer works 100% of the time. It was a day Mama T and I were in, Mother Teresa and I were in Jerusalem one day. We were walking up to the Wailing Wall, and the Wailing Wall is this big wall on the side of the Jerusalem temple where it used to be. And Christians and Jews have gone there for years. It's a holy place for the Jews. As a matter of fact, it was a day where they were having a bar mitzvah, which is actually a lot like confirmation in, in the Jewish world. So they had all these young men there, and there were people all around them. But before we went, I'd ask the church, everybody in the congregation, to write on a slip of paper a prayer that they had. And when we got together as a team, before we went, we prayed every single one of those prayers, hundreds of those prayers. They were prayers for healing. They were prayers for celebration of something great that had happened in their life. They were prayers for recovery from from alcoholism. There were all kinds of prayers. And we rolled them up. And this has been a historical thing that people have done for a long time. They roll up these little pieces of paper, real tiny, and you shove them in the cracks in the wailing wall. And you pray for them. And I can remember that moment And like Pastor Keith said, it was awesome, but nothing magical happened there. We put the slips of paper in the wall, and something powerful happened, but nothing magical. See, what happened that was powerful and what was effective was that the prayers of God's people authentically and genuinely were prayed, and we know they were heard from God. Now, you guys had this experience with me. One Wednesday afternoon... We walked all around the church with hymnals and talked about our burdens. Remember that? We carried those heavy hymnals. And then we ended up in the prayer room. And every single one of you, we went around the circle and said, share what your concerns are. Share what your joys are. And you told us. And then you came and knelt down at this very kneeling aisle altar. And one of the other ones of you took a little oil, put it on their thumb, said the person's name, put the sign of the cross on their forehead, and said... Their name, I anoint you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we began to pray. And we'd lit some candles in there, and it was dark because it was fall and winter. And there was this real holy moment. And I know that for a lot of you, you felt that was really, really cool. Something really neat happened that day. But I will tell you this, there was no magic there. Nothing magical happened. What you simply had there in that moment as we went around the circle and with our hands on the person, prayed each, each person for that person, what happened there was that the prayers of God's people, and in this case, you all, the prayers of God's people were authentically spoken. They were genuinely said, and I guarantee you without an exception, they were heard did those prayers need to be said in special places? I mean, did Teresa and I have to go all the way to Israel to pray in that special moment? Did we have to turn the lights off and light a candle in the, in the prayer room to have this special experience? Of course not. We did those special experiences so that the, we might be reminded in those places of the power of God, of the absolute power that your God has. Even the most immature Christian knows that rubbing a genie's lamp And getting three wishes is not prayer. That's not what prayer is like. Prayer is about believing in and connecting with our God, who, as Keith said just a moment ago, is everywhere, knows everything, and is all-powerful. See, prayer is a statement and expression of our faith and confidence in God. We believe that faith can move mountains. We really do, guys. But it's God that does the moving. So the question then is... Pastor Mike, if prayer is 100% effective, if prayer works 100% of the time, then our question is, why? Our question is, why, right? Because we've prayed. So if you're telling me, Pastor Mike, that prayer works 100% of the time, answer the question, why? Because i got these why questions myself. You know, because I could say, why? You know, I prayed that my father wouldn't die of cancer, and he did. I prayed that one of my nephews would not be embroiled deeply and suffering physical effects from alcoholism, but he is, and I prayed. And I pray that we might have the the right number of funds right now, that we might have 20 million bucks drop in our hands so we can go out and build a new church. I prayed all these things. How can you say they're effective? Because that's not what's happening. Well, here's the thing. The 100% effectiveness in prayer is not, as Pastor Keith said, getting what we want. The effectiveness prayer is simply in this. Intimate conversation with God is the point of prayer. Effective prayer is not measured by the results that we get. It's measured by the response God gives. See, if it was just about me, I'd still be mad as heck that my pop died. If it was just about my prayers, I'd be frustrated as all, all creation because my nephew is struggling. If it was just about me, I'd just be sitting around in wishfulness, hoping that a bunch of money would appear. appear. But effectiveness in prayer is not gauged by the stuff we get or the blessings that roll in our lives. Effectiveness in prayer is the conversation with God. It's just being in conversation with God. See, constantly conversing with God about every little thing. See, God cares about the stuff in your life. He cares about the little stuff in your life. He cares about the big stuff. Because everything you do, get this, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, everything you do, everything you do, takes you either closer to God or farther away from God. So why wouldn't he care about those things? And why wouldn't he know all about them already? It's all about the conversation. Oswald Chambers, and, and I'll close with this, you guys. We'll go towards your confirmation moment. Oswald Chambers, really famous guy. He wrote a bunch of devotional guides. I'm going to read what he said so I don't goof it up. Oswald Chambers wrote this. Be faithful to the conversation with God and your prayers will be and are fully effective. Be faithful to the conversation with God and your prayers will be and are fully effective. See, I believe this. I believe that a Christian offers their prayers to stay intimately connected with God. And Pastor Keith and Vicki and I desire this for your whole lives. Let's pray. God, we come together to celebrate these young men and women and celebrate we shall. But even more importantly, Lord, we come to express our gratefulness to you for the love that you have given them and for the path that you draw them on now.